Welcome to the Sharon Fitzmaurice podcast. Today's guest is Irene Lowry, a humanistic counsellor from Russian County Dublin. In 2011, Irene established Nurture Health Ireland, a nationwide counselling and training support service to support women and their partners struggling with their mental health around conception, pregnancy and childbirth health related issues. Nurture, Nurture Health currently works with 28 qualified humanistic counsellors all over Ireland. In 2015, Irene won Social Entrepreneurs Ireland for Impact Award. Irene is also an expert health advisor with everymom.ie and has written articles supporting women during these crises. So Irene, you're very welcome to my podcast today and I'm delighted to have you on as a guest. Um, I connected with Irene through Twitter. So we were just laughing about technology, but really technology has given us all an avenue during the pandemic, I suppose, and also to connect with like-minded people as well, Irene. So I'm very grateful that I met you through Twitter and Irene, um, had me on as her guest on Nurture Health on Instagram, oh, a while back now, before Christmas, I think it was, Irene. And it was lovely chatting to you. Irene is one of those lovely people that you could spend hours talking to, <laughs> and you're always going to come away with loads of wisdom. And she's also great fun as well, which is my kind of person. So Irene, <laughs> delighted to have you here. Well, thank you very much, Sharon, for having me back on your your podcast which is fantastic once I can get the technology going okay yeah. and I said we're all learning which is great oh. and you know I think like that I think because so many people are on technology at the moment because of again another lockdown we're all learning as we go now Irene aren't we we've learned Absolutely. a few new skills along the way we've learned to turn the phone on <laughs> And press some buttons. I know. <laughs> and that's the best way of learning, isn't it? It's by doing. Absolutely. It's by you just doing. have to. There's no point in getting somebody else to do it for you. No. I'm trying to learn Instagram at the moment. So I'm just, I'm on the fourth video of 198. Oh, my God. <laughs> but I get there. I get there. I just, I'm a slow learner. Once I get it, I get it. But it's just yeah. my age. It's my age. The younger generation don't care. They just move along with it easily. Yeah. Well, they grew up, you know, with it almost, you know, it's like second nature somewhere. We really had, we had a mindset of this is the way you do things. And then we had to change and learn, you know, but I think the lockdown has really made everybody now have to jump into technology with homeschooling, with meeting clients on Zoom and online. So it's changed everything for us. So we're all learning. I suppose that's the positive. So we come, Irene, to... You know, I am giving your introduction there that you're a humanistic counselor, but your background was sales and marketing, Irene. So that's a big jump from sales and marketing to counseling. What led you onto the counseling profession? What brought you into that beautiful career choice? Well, I separated many moons ago myself and I got a counselor who offered me affordable counseling. So I was with that counsellor for about two years and really without her intervention and cost effective counselling, I couldn't have got through. So afterwards, I, um, my boys were six months and six years of age at that stage. But the six year old uh, boy, what I wanted was somebody had mentioned to me the organisation Rainbows uh, for separated bereaved children. And I thought, you know what, I think uh, my son could do with going to this group. So I got him into the group and um, then I was approached by the director, who's a good friend of mine. And she asked, would I at that time uh, do some training for myself to take the small children's group? And I said at the time, I need training myself, never mind going to rainbows. I wasn't in the headspace and certainly I couldn't help myself. So I therefore could certainly not help anybody else. So through the counselling, um, when I came out of the counselling, finished the counselling two years later, I decided I would contact the director for rainbows and say, yes, I'd love to do the training. So I really started the process there. 
And that was a twofold thing. What I wanted to do was learn for myself as to how I could support my six-year-old, how I could support myself, I suppose as well, as much as I'd been to a child psychologist as well at the time, to learn the do's and the don'ts of not, I suppose, using your child as a weapon in this separation and causing mayhem and working through your own stuff first, as opposed to lashing out. And at that stage, of course, you're angry, you're upset, you're all, all over the place. But um, that's why I want to do the training. So the training for me was about a weekend, maybe two, two or three weekends, but it was amazing. I found it absolutely amazing. And I thought, oh my God, right, okay. So then I went in, I took this small group for six months and they were four to six year olds. And I swear to God, they were just amazing kids amazing the questions they asked you just be sitting there going oh my god does his mother know but he knows no because of course the parents were saying sure he knows nothing but you know kids are like little sponges of course they know a lot so I did that I took that group then I took the um, group from 10 to 13 then I went on and did the teenager group and what I noticed was the women who were dropping their children to this center were literally on a Saturday morning driving up and leaving and coming back two hours later. And I thought to myself, before I took the next group, I thought, right, well, we've got to fix this. All of these women must be hurting, uh, being separated or bereaved. So I got this big pot and made a big kettle and made a huge kettle of tea and coffee and caught them before they, caught them before they drove off. And in the beginning, they were no more interested now in talking to me than the man in the moon. So then I added to it the following week. I went out and I bought a Gansey load of biscuits. And I thought, right, okay. So it's about 12 cars. And then, then the following week was probably 14. And I got them all. And they all sat and they talked to me. So then I'm thinking, well, how am I going to get them to talk to each other? So on the fourth week, I said, look, ladies, I just want to say something to you. There's a huge table in there. There's tea, there's coffee, there's everything you want to sit down. Everybody in these cars, every other woman in these cars are suffering similarly to you. So why don't you come out of your car? It was all free parking. Park up and come in and spend some time. So the following week, one woman came in and she was about to leave. And another woman came in. It was like, please God, somebody, somebody else turn up here. So she turned up and that group today is about 200 women, honestly, that go on holidays. They delight variety. They go on holidays. They go to cinema. So they've set up their own club on their own. So that's what got me going. And I did that then for two years. And that was every Saturday. So then I decided, right, look, do you know what? I, I asked the director, could I pull back and just take one group, which was fine. So I did that probably for about another year and then bowed out. And then I decided, do you know what? I wanted really, honestly, Sharon, to paddle my own canoe. I'd worked on high-level international sales and marketing. And I suppose with the counselling, the, the gift that I was given, I just wanted to see, could I pay it forward? Um, and that sounds a bit cliche, but it wasn't meant to be. And also I wanted to do more work on myself. And I wanted to paddle my own canoe business-wise. My idea was, and it was an original one, because most of the people in the group were there for their own reasons um, in the training. And, you know, setting up their own business was not really their priority. Whereas for me, because I was separated at the time, it was my priority. Um, so off I went anyway and did that for about five years. Loved it, hated it ran out of the course with my handbag. I gave a talk to the IACP, our group, the Irish Association Council Psychotherapists last year. And you know the way you go to these talks and you're looking at people and you're thinking, oh my God, she's amazing. I could never be like her. So I stood up anyway, and I was thinking on the way in, you know, what will I say here? And I don't want to be the expert in the room because I'm certainly not. So I told them about a story that when I was in there one day, and this is the truth of it, I literally, I just felt attacked and I thought, I can't deal with this and I can't do this counseling course anymore. So I got my handbag and I ran out. <laughs> I ran home like the gingerbread man. And um, then I realized, you know what? I was in my third year. I'll have to go back. <laughs> yeah. So when I went back, 
I went back and got and got the diploma. So all was well. But basically what I said to them was, you know, don't be looking at me here today thinking, oh, well, this one has it all sorted. None of us have ever got it sorted. So that's my introduction to counselling. Wow. That's amazing. Mm. I love the fact, you know, that you in your own separation and you were thinking of your children because sometimes we're not able to deal with our children if we have our own issues going on and that you had I suppose the awareness really isn't it Irene that you needed support your children needed support and um, because you were struggling to get through it all it's a huge thing it's like a loss or a grief isn't it when you separate also and that your children as you said they are like sponges and they know exactly when there's tension in the air they know when there's things going on with their families with their moms and dads or whoever their parents or guardians but the fact that you went in, you know, looking for support and you ended up supporting not only children, but also the moms, you know, who, as you said, were driving off in their cars. But when they all came together, they became this huge support network for each other. That is so powerful. I mean, you know, you think back to the old days when the moms didn't have technology, they didn't have, you know, the outside world as such. They only had each other around the fire with a cup of tea and a packet of rich tea biscuits. <laughs> rich tea, yeah. You know, or marigolds. <laughs> or Marietta. Yeah. Yes. yeah Mary. Yeah. So I think, you know what, that it comes back to it at the end of the day, we all need connection and we all need support and we need to be able to connect with people that I suppose have an understanding of what we've gone through, you know, and for you, you really had laid the foundation and that in your own life is, you know, when you went on to train to be a counsellor, you had kind of gone through it all really, Irene, didn't you? <laughs> yes, I sure did. You sure did. And there's, there is nothing like life experience because it allows you to have more empathy and compassion for people. And the fact even of you standing in the room, you know, and saying, I don't want this, I feel attacked, you know, I'm leaving. But, you know, that you went back. I suppose yeah. there is a resistance in all of us, isn't it, that, you know, we have to push ourselves a little bit further. And somebody recently said, you know, but why should I bother? And I said, well, why should you not? You well, know, that's a very valid yeah. point. Why should you not? Yeah. yeah. You know, I said, you, we are all the same. And this pandemic has shown us that we are all on the same level playing field, no matter whether we're a CEO of a company or we are the mom at home or the dad that's driving, you know, the milk lorry or the nurses in the hospital. We're all struggling with our own issues and we all need support. And a lot of us are locked away, not just in our homes, but in our heads. So the more support and awareness that's out there, you know, and if people are more honest, I always say they then start connecting and they start being real and open with each other. And I love that about you, Ira, because it is you have a great realness and an honesty about you, you know, even when you're talking, there's the laugh. You're like me you just burst out laughing <laughs> when you think of something that happened, you know, and someone else will relate to that. And it kind of cuts the ice, doesn't it? It cuts the yes, teeth and does. the fear of. Yeah. Oh God, who is she now? What does she think of me? You know, yeah. mm. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks of us, does it, Irene? Not really. And I don't think, you know, I think we all have knowledge ourselves. Yeah. Uh, maybe different knowledge. And I think, you know, what got me, I suppose, to where I am through the trials and tribulations of my own life is to be open to learning. Even if I did run out of that room, I went back in again yeah. and faced the music, really my own stuff. Um, and we're all learning. We're all a work in progress, all of yeah. us, until Absolutely. we get into the end of our days. We, we are. And as you say, it doesn't matter. I remember going to a funeral one time in awe of this particular man that I worked with, a very wealthy guy. And everybody that was kind of a mixed, um, mixed views on him. You know, he was very dynamic. He was very wealthy. He looked on the outside as if he had it all. I knew he had his own difficulties. Other people didn't but this priest got up and it really struck me and I thought well fair play to you now he just got up and said it doesn't matter really at the end of the day where we live what we drive how much money's in the bank because it's going to go to somebody else anyway yeah um and the whole prestige I suppose of living in a particular area and all of that um at the end of the day was there, if anybody here today was that person a nice genuine person were they kind mm -hmm. and giving 
that's all that matters here today. You're literally stripped of everything else, aren't you? It doesn't matter. And I think you're so right. And again, when we're going through any struggles ourselves, it doesn't matter about your title or your wealth or anything, because your struggles are going on within your mind, within your own life. And it's to have somebody there that's not going to judge you for who you are, who you're not in this world, and that they are able to sit with you during your most awfulest times and just be there to listen to you, to allow you to speak openly without judging. I think that's what we all need most in the world and particularly right now. So that brings me to why then you you started your counselling, obviously your own professional counselling, and you went on to set up Nurture Health Ireland. So tell us about that journey from you know, paddling your own canoe, Irene. Yes. And then how long were you doing that before the idea came of Nurture Health Ireland? Three years. Three years. Yeah, that's as far as I got was three years. So I counselled how how Nurture itself. So we were a charity for nine years and we are now Nurture Health for two years. So doing exactly the same work, no difference, except we had to change the name. So um, I counseled two young women in 2010 uh, who were referred from friends. I don't know who. Um, So this young woman came 25 years of age, three children, three small children. And uh, the first week she seemed fine. She came with postnatal depression. But that actually wasn't what her issue was. Her issue was that she was on the public waiting list over nine months, waiting for a counselling appointment, didn't have the wherewithal to realise she perhaps might have been able to get an affordable counsellor and get off that list. So she came the second week. I was looking at a different woman completely. And I just said to her, as a counsellor, we have a duty of care, obviously, to ask the question. And I just said to her, look, you you don't seem to be so good this week. You know, how are you feeling? I said, would you have any suicide ideation? And she said, oh, I don't have the ideation. I have the plan. So I sat there and went, oh, my God. Okay. so uh, then I realized that she did have a plan. And then she said to me, look, can I can I ask you something? Would you come out to my car? I want to show you something. I said, okay. So out of the car I go, and in the boot of her car, just in a small crate, was a bottle of vodka and crushed tablets in a jam jar. And she was, this was a year on from the time she'd gone on this list. So when we got back into the counselling room, I said to her, when did you start, when did you start devising this suicide plan? She said, oh, six months, six months into it. And I said, and what's your plan? Oh, she said, it's quite simple, really. Now, she was talking, honest to God, Sharon, as if she was looking up at the sky and the sky's blue. And that's what we're talking about here. So Mm -hmm. I said, "Okay." So she said, well, I've sent my invitations to my son's party uh, six weeks forward. And I said, right. And how's that going to look? Well, she said, and she talked about it and she was smiling and she said, well, it's going to be a bouncing castle on a Saturday afternoon and my friends and family will be there. My husband, of course, would be there. And I said, that's wonderful. And what's going to happen then? Well, she said, that evening at about one o'clock in the morning, I'm going to take that vodka and I'm going to take those tablets and I won't be here on the Sunday. Now, I sat there and I was supposed to be calm, cool and collect. I fell apart. Yeah. And I just said to her, this seems like you really are going to do this. I am going to do it, she said. I said, but Why? And she said, well, my husband is well able to look after them and I'll be out of pain and so too will he. And I said, but your husband isn't in any pain. Oh, but he is. He's living with me. I said, no. So we went through that. Then I got her up to our local GP and he gave her a script for antidepressants. And she just gave it back to him. She said, Irene, tell him I already have mine stashed. They're in my car. Yeah. So that was that. And um, I got a call on the Monday morning. She put it through from her husband to say that she had died through suicide on the Sunday evening. So I talked with him. He came over with a long, good few hours talking together. He knew there was something wrong with her. And she was suffering from postnatal depression, but that developed a clinical depression, which developed onto the suicide ideation, the actual thought and plan. 
So he lost his job subsequently. So a friend of mine took him for counselling for a year. Um, move us on 10 years. He's remarried. He has a little baby. Life is good, thank God. But that was that time. Mm. So I attended the funeral and it just had such a profound effect on me. I went back into counselling myself. Um, part of me, I didn't feel I'd done enough work with her to not feel I should, I could have done more. Yeah. But I was still left with massive residue of, oh my God, this actually happened. So then at the end of 2010, another young woman comes through and on the second week, a six month old baby and asked me, would I take her baby? And I said, why would I be taking your baby? Well, I won't be around. And I just said, Jesus, is there a beacon of light over my head? Or what's going on here? So she uh, took her own life in the city centre and her six month old baby ended up in the care of the HSE. Oh, my God. Mm. So then I decided I want to find out in Ireland what is out there for women around the area of postnatal depression to find that there's 13,000 women diagnosed annually with 50% undiagnosed. So altogether, there's about 18,000 women uh, in Ireland diagnosed annually. It's the most non-talked about, taboo, stigmatized topic that's out there at the moment. If you think about it, suicide is talked about, and rightly so, but so too should this area be talked about, but it's not. Why do so you think I that up. is? Why do you think that is, though, Irene? Even though we're here in 2021, as you said, suicide is talked about so openly. Why do you believe that it's not talked about in the area of postnatal depression? I think it's because the women themselves are feel embarrassed. They're ashamed. They think they should be this super mother. There is no such thing, as we all know, as a super mother. Um, they're lost themselves. Some don't even know they have postnatal depression. Some think they're, they're just low and it'll all come back again. To turn around and say to somebody, even your best friend, I can't cope. Yeah. I'm struggling. I'm crying all the time. I can't get out that front door. They're terrified as to where is this all going to lead me to? Mm. Am I going mad? Um, not being able to, to cope with your baby, not having a connection with your baby, over-connecting, over-anxiousness. Yeah. All of that group together just leads them into a corner where they just don't feel they can talk about it. Some women will talk about it when they come out the other side. Yes. But the majority won't, and they want to move on. So to break that stigma, I think in 2021, it's, it has to be the woman that breaks the stigma. I think so as well, because it's coming from the woman's perspective. But just as you said there, you know, some people have there's a taboo around it or the stigma around it. I think a lot of women don't even realize they may be suffering with postnatal depression as well, Irene, because, you know, even like that, I meet people a lot of the time and they just say, well, sure, that's normal. You know, the old days of the baby blues, you know, my mother would have said people would have got the baby blues years ago. And that it only lasts a little while, you know, and then when it doesn't, when it doesn't go away after the first week or two and it continues on, they put it down to just lack of sleep, as you said, and everything. But it affects them so much mentally and emotionally, physically in every area of their lives. It affects their relationships. It affects the care of the other children. It affects them, you know, going outside and returning to work or just going out into the community. And as you said, it's the stigma of maybe not being that good mom. And especially if it's your first baby, you know, that you everybody is now, as you said, putting pictures up of the perfect mom and the perfect babies. And we see this with a lot of celebrities and their fabulous nurseries and their brilliant children. And, you know, they're showing you the best side. They're not showing you the sleepless nights and the puke all down their back, you know, and they, they could be up half the night. Yeah. So I think it is, again, maybe the awareness of what postnatal depression is you know for me as I said I hear a lot of people they don't realize sometimes they're depressed they don't realize that it could affect them that that only happens to other people it doesn't happen to me so that if we speak about what it is you know what are the signs of it you know how are you feeling but again can we ask women to speak about it openly where 
Where do we ask them to speak about it openly? Is it to their GP? Is it to the public health nurse that comes around for the first few days? Where can they speak about it openly, Irene? Well, I think I know that the problem, the problem with it is, I think, if we just talk about postnatal depression on its own as one of the illnesses we support, an awful lot of women, an awful lot of women who have friends, and if I if I turned around to you and I said to you, you know, Sharon, I'm really I'm really struggling. I'm not I'm not I'm not sleeping. Sleep deprivation is huge in all of this. It exasperates the issue completely, and that's not really well known out there either. But that I'm struggling. But you see, if I have a new baby, the majority of women will turn around and say, "But what's your problem? You have yes. a new baby. You should be grateful." Yes. But the thing is, they're not. So for a woman, what we say is we're a supportive organization offering professional counseling and support forms. What we say is that is that is where we start and that is where we finish. Yeah. The other health professionals out there are the are the people that these women need to be going to see initially. And that is their GP. Mm. That is their public health nurse. Talk with their public health nurse. Now, the other part about the public health nurses, some of the women and the public health nurse themselves know this, are afraid to mention how seriously bad they're struggling because they're afraid their child will be taken off them. Yes. But their child will not be taken off them. And that's what we say on the phone most days. Your child will not be taken off you. Your public health nurse is there to support you, yeah. to help you. But the other issue we have in Ireland, and I don't know about the other countries, we're always looking after the baby, and rightly so. But we have to look after the mother and yes. the partner because all of them are going, as you say, going to make their lives together. Yeah. And it has an absolute domino effect on the child as the child grows. Yeah, absolutely, Irene. I think, you know, the more that we speak about it, and if I even just think back to my own situation when I lost a baby in 2004, oh, and... Um, it was, you know, that initial shock. And even after my kids, I probably had postnatal depression as I'd suffered with anxiety and depression for a good few years, but I probably had it. But again, I had kept a lot to myself. And that's why I'm just so open about it now, you know, that I want other people to be able to share it no matter what it is, you know. So, yes, you might only think it's sleep deprivation, you know, or you're sleep deprived and people say, should that's normal. If it doesn't feel normal to you, if you do not feel well in yourself to speak to somebody and say, I am struggling, can you please help me out? You know, and it's not just the sleep. There's actually more, you know, there's all of these other things are happening around me. The thoughts that I'm having and the feelings, you know, and I'm finding it a struggle to cope every day. And I'm afraid of, you know, what I might do to my child, all of these different things. But for me, I suppose, and that when I lost the baby in 2004, it made me realize only then how much I had actually struggled for the years before that and I had two healthy children before that. So now I always say to people, if there's anything someone can do just in your very support network, in your little bubble, like your partner or your mom or your sister, whoever it is, your public health nurse, speak to them straight away. Don't leave it until it builds up and then it's going to be harder and harder to come back to that place where you kind of can cope with it. Because if you spoke of that client you had and that she had been waiting for nine months on a public waiting list and that she could see no other way out of the pain but then to have her plan and put it into action. It's just, it's horrific, isn't it, even to think about it, Irene? It's absolutely, it's absolutely dire. That's what it is. And when you think about women, this is 2021 and women are suffering in silence and some know and some don't know but the whole, the, the whole issue is, is that when you get professional supports, as you know, and other supports, other holistic supports to, to in combination with all of that, yeah. whatever supports work for each woman, yes. a woman can be really, really well. That's, uh, the, that's, the, that's the critical component of all of this. Yeah. She can be flying it after 10 weeks. Yeah. But suffering in silence doesn't work for any of us. No, for any issue. And I think in particular with mothers, 
because they feel so responsible for this new life, you know, or if that baby, you know, we'll go on to talk the other way you support women and partners as well. But in particular to postnatal depression, that they're not alone, that a lot of women go through this, but they don't have to go as far struggling on their own, that your organization really supports women and you're very open about it and you're all over Instagram and Twitter and I see you you're constantly reaching out to people to say here we are we're here to support you we're here through all stages of the pregnancy it's not just afterwards for postnatal depression it's not as if you lose a child or it's not for it's we're here all the time please contact us you know so you're constantly out there. And I think we have to keep pushing it, Irene, you know. So I am only delighted that you're here on talking about it today. And I don't believe in coincidences, but I believe in synchronicity. And earlier on, um, and I knew obviously we were going to be recording this podcast, I met a lovely friend of mine and she had just lost a baby. Um, he was she was 20 weeks just 20 weeks oh, pregnant no, sorry to hear that. and I met her in the local shop masks on I couldn't hug her we had to stand back from it because our natural instinct is to hug each other and my heart just flowed to her and I thought is there anything I can say in this moment that's going to make her feel a little bit better just in this moment but then I realized it's not about what I say it's just to be there to ask her how she is, how yeah. is she doing right now? And she had a little tear or two in the shop and it's like we were just there. It didn't matter about anybody else around. It was just there to ask her how she was doing, to acknowledge her little baby that she had lost, you Aww. know, and that it yeah. is just day by day, you know, and she's taking it day by day. And, you know, but I, that's what I, when I met, when I came out of the shop, I thought, oh my God, there we are. We're going to report, record this podcast. And here it is so close to home just on that day that she is one of the many women and families and couples that are struggling right now today with the loss or going through postnatal depression or having to come to terms with ending their, their pregnancy, coming to an end and knowing their baby is not going to survive. They are oh. the things that people are dealing with every moment of every day, isn't it, Irene? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's funny because since um, May last year, we seem to have uh, a cluster of women, probably about 20 of them, who've lost babies, who've buried babies. Mm -hmm. And that's never, it's never happened. Sorry, I just need to charge this. I just bear me a moment. Just okay. You got me. You're all right. You're back okay, again, Irene. You. you are. You're okay. Grand. Okay. Um. Yeah. We. So we've got about twenty women that um are really struggling at the moment and are um just over having a, having buried a baby. So what we've done is we've connected them all in with each other to do a support. Uh, zoom call with them once a week to try and connect them in so the the plan is, is that in time they will call each other oh, they split good. it up and call each other so that's the plan so very sad situation and also for your friend too you know yeah and i think again as well like that it's probably um a little bit more exaggerated because they're locked down and they can't have their families around them supporting them like they might have had in the past Mm -hmm. you know so that has made it a little bit harder so to have nurture health there with them you know supporting them I'm sure is just so beneficial yeah. so when you go on then and you start this beautiful as you said you were charity for nine years and then went on and you've now 28 qualified humanistic counsellors all over Ireland Irene isn't that right that's right yeah yeah and you've also negotiated with Irish Life and VHI Insurance to introduce insurance covers for the women and their partners as well for counselling. Yeah, well, I mean, it was one of our one of our counsellors said to me about three years ago, what about VHI for women for in our area for counselling? And I said, oh, what do you mean? She said, well, could they get back some funds for their 
counts for counting with nurture on their policies. And I said, God, I don't know. So I went in and started that dialogue with them. And um, of course it was unique and it's still unique. We're not mm -hmm. completely there yet on that particular, with that particular organization, but we're getting there slowly. Yeah. So it means that if you have VHI insurance on some of their policies, you can claim back, we charge 50 euros an hour. You can claim back 40. Very good. So you can get 10 counseling sessions and be reimbursed 40 euros with uh, VHI. Then Irish Life Health contacted us and that's exactly the same, except it's across all policies. Okay. And now we're with two policies in Leia, looking for somebody in Leia to help us with expanding that out, if anybody's listening. Yeah. Um, that's six months work going around the circles with Leia, trying to find somebody who listen to me. Mm -hmm. um, and there, and that, that means their clients are covered too. So we're partnered with all three. So it means that women can, can actually come for counselling and their counselling literally costs them about 10 euros a week. Brilliant. That is just fantastic, Irene. Brilliant, brilliant initiative. And as you said, it's very unique. It, you know, that why was that not ever there before? Why was that never in place? Yeah. You know, and for you... Just need, you need women to push it. You yeah. need women to push it. And again, I think because when you have experienced it and gone through it yourself, you understand the importance of counselling and support for their partners so that they can, you know stay together they can work together and they may have other children as well that need to be supported during that so i think it's brilliant so the things that you cover are depression in pregnancy which again is not spoken about either irene postnatal no. depression post-traumatic yeah. stress disorder ivf yeah. disappointment stillbirths miscarriages premature births and neonatal deaths yeah. so when you were talking then earlier on, you know, and these are only estimated figures, but like. Karen, just spare me a moment, put me on pause. Yeah. So, so Irene, um, I was just looking at figures there, you know, before you came on as well, and they're probably not up to date, but they're saying over 50,000 women give birth every year. That may be more. Now, you might have right up to date figures. It's an mm -hmm. estimate that around 14,000 women miscarry each year. Yeah. Over 400 deaths from stillbirth, neonatal and late neonatal, and also the high rate of failure of IVF as well in Ireland. Yeah, they the, figure, the figure is about 62,000. And the other figures are correct. Um, and if you put in there as well, traumatic birth is about 7,500 women. Depression in pregnancy is between six and seven thousand. And then you put in the miscarriage, which is one in five, one in four, whichever, 14, 15,000. Yeah. The figures are absolutely astronomical. That is just when I read the figures, because again, you know, I know most people, most people I know have been affected by one or either of those. OK, hmm. and even mm -hmm. only. Um, just after Christmas or before Christmas, I had a lady on Kathy Dunleavy who lost her baby as a neonatal death. And, you know, again, she had normal pregnancies before that as well. But we like that. We all know, and as I said, the friend I met today in the local shop, we all know people that have been affected through miscarriage or stillbirths or IVF loss or, you know, and the list goes on. And it just seems to me with the figure so high, how it's still a stigma, how it's still not spoken about and that what we can do, you know, and I know I'm trying and you're trying, Irene, and we're all trying yeah. to ask people to speak out um, as much as possible. But is there something from that first point of contact, even when the lady goes to her GP and she confirms that she's pregnant, you know, are they given information? It's a long time now since I was pregnant, but is there information that they're given even now in hospitals about depression during pregnancy, you know, about miscarriage loss, you know, what supports are out there? Is that being given to people now, Irene, I wonder? No, it's not. No, no. What? No. The hospitals are reluctant to give out information across the board. Now, where with pregnancy loss, um, uh, HSC uh, uh, website, which which gives you uh, Lana McCree, um, life 
Time Foundation, Felicon ourselves, there isn't enough signposting. I mean, with these 20 women that we're working with at the moment, an awful lot of them have gone around the coals trying to find us. Wow. Whether it's Google, through a friend, on a forum. And three of those women needed to go in in 2020 for a fatal fetal abnormality scan. Knowing they're on their own, their partner was not allowed in with them. But before they went in for the scan, the three of them equally in different hospitals asked, well, you know, have you got a counsellor? Is there any organisation you can point me to? And the answer from all three hospitals was, wait until your scan is over. What? But I don't get that. I don't, I don't see why women need to suffer in silence, yeah. not being signposted in somewhere to a professional organisation like yourselves or others, in fairness, to, to, to be left just waiting for the scan, knowing the news is going to be desperate. Yeah, I just, I can't believe that, as you said, as I said, it's a long time now since I was pregnant, but I can't remember back then, you know, um, getting any information, you know, it was basically go in and do all the things. And if your pregnancy is normal, great. But as we said, now with the figures so high, again, you said there should be signposts to say, if you are struggling in any shape or form during your pregnancy, here are counselling services available. They're on the HSE site, you know, here's one in your area, you know, your GP is giving out this information to you at the start. So it's like people are prepared just in case because the figures are just really, really high. I really was gobsmacked today, Irene, to see it because we hear about all the beautiful babies that are born into the world and their moms could be suffering with postnatal depression and they're trying to keep it quiet and that maybe because nobody has given them the information they think well there's something wrong with me I can't tell anybody so I'll continue struggling like that client of yours that's where I think it should stop that's where I think the awareness should be out there is there any way that we can get this information into hospitals freely I don't know, because I think, it's, again, the hospitals themselves work on their own, in their own way, even in 2021. So depending on who's, who's who in the hospital, are they open to outside influences? I'm not sure. I think my, my learning over the last 10 years is they're quite, they're quite insular in themselves and they work around their own support services, whatever they may be. And that's it. And when a woman leaves the hospital, she leaves the hospital. Wow. Public health nurses, we work with public health nurses and GPs every day. Very There's good. absolutely no problem with that area. Friends of friends, forum. Nobody has to write a letter to us to say uh, this is the situation. And um, the other part about the support service that I set up, really what I wanted was a no waitlist policy. So if you phone us on a Monday, you will be cancelled by Wednesday of the same week. That is excellent. That is amazing, Irene. How many people, or do you think it has increased in this lockdown? Or, yes, definitely has. I think, I think and I'm sure you'll agree, yeah. I think there's, when this is over and done with, and please God, it's sooner rather than later this year, I think there's a tsunami of mental health issues to come that yeah. are not addressed, whether it's people who've lost loved ones who couldn't go into the hospital to see their loved one before they died. The loved one was taken from the hospital, it's still happening now and will be while this pandemic goes on. Go, the loved one goes to the crematorium, they go to the crematorium and that's it. It's not finished. Yeah. We're meant to, to lament and talk and love and care for and hug and Mm. and be there my 97 year old friend died last may uh, mm. from covid on her own two weeks in the hospital and what a friend of mine and her family did was we sent up cards to the nurses to tell them her story so she's not a little bundle in a bed yes. 97 not knowing what her background was yes you know it's just horrendous so i think there's a massive tsunami of mental health issues out there at the moment. Mm. I think the government need to put a hell of a lot more funding into our area mental health, yeah. which isn't funded really. The mainstream mm -hmm. is, but not particularly ours. And uh, all across the board are affected, children, teenagers, adults, women, men, with all different issues of mental health, how that's all going to be supported and addressed 
I have no idea. Yeah. And I, I think, know. as you said, we are going to see it more and more once this is we start opening up and we start people coming back out, out of their homes, out of their lockdown and coming out into the world. If you had a message to give to anyone listening, Irene, in particular women or partners that are struggling or watching their, you know, wives or sisters or friends struggling you know, especially in related to any of the issues we've talked about, what would your message be to the Irene? Well, I think it's a bit similar to what you just said there. Reach out to your own family. Talk. One woman described postnatal depression for me in a support group as a big concrete block on a front door. She couldn't get past it. Mm. So talk to people that you love. There's nothing to be ashamed about. Absolutely nothing. It's nothing to do with you. One woman said to me last week, I brought this all on myself. I said, oh. you did not bring it on yourself. What <laughs> woman? What woman would go out to bring all this on yourself? I said, you didn't. Yeah. So it's the signpost. Call Nurture Health. Talk to your GP. Talk to your reflexologist. Talk to your holistic uh, practitioners. Whoever you're around, mm. bring it up and get talking about it. It will lead you somewhere else where you will get professional support and you can be okay. But suffering in silence is not the way. Good. And again, that's talking to anyone that needs to reach out. But what about the people that are around them and maybe they're trying to talk and, you know, the person that is suffering isn't opening up to them? What can they do? What can the partner do or the family member do if they're watching someone they love struggling, especially with postnatal depression? Well, what we say is contact your own GP. An awful lot of men would contact us because we're about supporting the women and partners across the board. So if a man, we get a lot of calls from men generally to say, I'm I'm okay, I'm worried about my wife or my partner. And of course, generally, unfortunately, Sharon, they're saying she won't talk to me. I get that. So then what their options are to talk to their GP Go to the GP, make an appointment themselves and sit there and explain the situation and let the GP then ask for the woman to come in to the the room, either with him or separately. Talk to his parents, just because the partners need support as well. So if you see a loved one suffering, again, you you can't stay in silence and neither can they. Now, I know the hospitals have GDPR where sometimes even the partners can't get the information to the hospitals. I know that piece, but certainly with the GP, the GP will sit and listen or a public health nurse. Very good. Irene, thank you so much. As I said, I could stay talking to you about so many things, but I'm so grateful that you took this hour out to speak to me and to the listeners and hopefully that it will create awareness and that it will help somebody listening that maybe is struggling or their partner is listening and they'll understand, you know, that the woman in their life is struggling in some way. Now it kind of makes sense and they will reach out and they'll ask them, are they okay? How can they help to speak to somebody? But if anybody is in doubt at all, please do contact your GP you can check out Irene's website, nurturehealth.ie. And there is there um, an appointment. You can click on for an appointment. And as Irene said, you won't be waiting nine months for an appointment. Okay. You definitely won't. Or you can call us because we have two systems. We've got the online support system, the booking system, and we have the phone. So the phone number is 085-861-9585. Okay. Yeah. And we are here and 90 percent of our work, Sharon, is done over the phone where women really or men want to talk. So that's their first where probably their first port of call, point of call to say, look, this is they're crying, they're sobbing, they're upset. We are used to that. That is what we work with every day. We understand that. We understand that part. And I think to have such compassion at the other end of the phone and real people, Irene, like you at the other end of the phone is going to make it a little bit easier because we know it's hard. We know it's hard for people to reach out and say that they're struggling. But you know what? If you're sitting at home and you're listening to this and you are so worried, but you're doing it inside of your own head. Please think about ring, ringing that number that Irene has just said or pop onto the web, website, have a read about Irene's work 
and how they can help you. Do not do this on your own. You do not have to be on your own. I promise you, you will feel so much better once you just speak to one person and you know that you're not the only person in the world going through this and there is other people out there to support you also. And in doing that also, you have a wellness program that you offer return to work after maternity leave as well, Irene. So people can check that out. And you also have a closed women's forum that people can check out on your website also. As I said, Irene, there is so much that Nurture Health are doing, but they're doing it because of you, because you separated back in the day and you had <laughs> children to nurture, but you also needed to nurture yourself through your negative experiences they turned into something very positive for you but now for all the people you are helping in Ireland I just think you're amazing Irene Lowry and well I think you are too Sharon so you're not on your own with that one absolutely incredible woman so thank you thank you Irene and you know what sometimes it does take awful things to happen for us to find a place in the world where we can give a little something back or we have an understanding of what it feels like and that we don't want anyone to feel as bad as we may have felt at a time in our lives, you know, and that we have the gift of voice. We definitely have the gift of the gab, Irene, the two of us. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. So I think if we can open our mouths and speak and raise awareness, we will do that as often as possible. But for now, Irene Lowry of NurtureHealth.ie, I want to say a very big thank you for joining me. And I look forward to seeing where your beautiful organization grows in the coming years. And I'm sure there will be many more awards that will be thrown at you, Irene, and you won't <laughs> use them. <laughs> so thanks. But listen. Huge thank you to you for raising awareness. And that's where we can win. That's the area we can win is to continually raise awareness of these issues for women and partners across Ireland. Really. Irene, well done. Thank you so much. Thanks a million. Bye for now. thank you to all our listeners as well today. Please do tune in again soon. And I look forward to chatting with our next guest. Thank you. Love. Thank you, Ferris.